Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off in depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, the keynote address and SEG President's State of the Society address from the opening session at the 90th annual meeting hosted virtually for the first time in its history. Up first, the SEG President Rick Miller presents the State of the Society address, summarizing the year in applied geophysics and what to expect in 2021 at the Society and in the industry. Then Rick is followed by the keynote address from Michael Oristagio. And it is not too late to register and get engaged with SEG20. Visit seg.org forward slash AM to register today. And now, Rick Miller and Michael Oristagio. Hello, my name is Rick Miller and I am the current and 89th president of the Society of Exploration Geophysicists. My presentation today is designed to provide you with an overview of the state of SEG. Who would have guessed last year in San Antonio that the world would be subjected to such turmoil and risk? We're living in a totally different world today. What a difference a year makes. Now, what I want to do is kind of give you a flavor for what I'm going to be talking about today. And also, it's mainly based on trying to give you uh, an idea of the, of the impact and reach of SEG and also the commitment and hard work of your leadership and staff. I wanted to touch on several impactful programs and measures taken to protect the society and to prepare for the new norm. The SEG strategic plan has evolved over the last several decades, but many parts are consistent with goals put back, put forth back early in, 20, in 2000. Your board and staff are committed to progress consistent with the outcome of the strategic refresh completed a year ago. Even with the hardships of the last year, programs are aligning with these initiatives and schedules established to achieve the desired outcomes. And the five initiatives basically that were, that were established as part of the refresh are diversity, diversify revenue streams and funding, uh, grow offerings and presence in global markets, diversify members and offerings beyond oil and gas, serve as the go-to source and advocate for applied geophysics, increase relevance to early career professionals. And one additional part to this roadmap this time is that we to make a roadmap accessible, measurable, and repeatable. That's something that if you don't have those metrics, then you basically have no way to measure your success. Coming out of the budget process in alignment of the, all the annual goals that we set forth, the year started out pretty strong. We had a $15.5 million balanced budget. We had over $16 million in reserves. And we just started into a, to a significant uh, group of partner events, one being the IPTC in Saudi Arabia had 18,000 attendees. Uh, NAEP in Houston had over 12,000 attendees. Things were really looking up and positive and, and going in the right way. But at the same time these events were going on, we could see in the, kind of in the, in, the, in the far view that there was, uh, uh, that this virus was actually making its way uh, in parts of the globe. Then as the pandemic moved across the globe, events began being impacted with rescheduling and event cancellations. By the end of April, our stakeholders and constituents were pulling back from upcoming events. Now, as, a, as, as came along with this process, as we all adapted to the virtual environment, we all learned how to use the virtual platforms and some of the tricks went into running and participating in virtual meetings. Not to mention, uh, we, got, we learned a lot about the design taste of any of the attendees based on the backgrounds of the rooms they were broadcasting from. We even figured out times to avoid scheduling meetings to keep from, uh, from being on top of uh, feeding time of the household pets. 
Now, first thing SED did was we we we, we took and uh, we we took steps to uh, protect the business and the society, and so we established the business continuity task force. It was assembled to provide rapid advice to the board with the goal of minimizing lasting fiscal threats to the society. Short-term fitness rather than long-term sustainability was the target. Dozens of scenarios were produced and analyzed en route to a recommendation to the board for implementing an immediate 10% reduction in the budgets early in, the, uh, in quarter two. The greatest catastrophic risk to the SCG was total failure of the annual meeting. As well, my position statement included an effort to bolster and expand the reach of the, our annual meeting. Therefore, the annual meeting task force was set up to provide recommendations to the board to minimize the chances for annual meeting failure and to address more long-term goals of greater global participation in the annual meeting and access by members who are unable to travel. Now, the digital transformation was already underway long before COVID-19, but the pandemic pushed that process into high gear. The goal is to provide SEG a mechanism to engage their members and collaborators with a vast network of services and products available to our science and a virtual means to engage in e-business. We need a smart and efficient virtual work and social space for geophysicists and geophysics that's intelligent. And that was the goal of this task force. Now, early findings of the task force, the task force started in its formulated innovative concepts to, to function efficiently in the virtual world. The platform they are envisioning links the main markets in which any professional society participates, which is knowledge, service, community, and tech development. Each person's experience will also be different, and each will have their own personal dashboard. SEG administrative software will follow activity as appropriate to provide business intelligence to help with hints and ideas of what's out there. The experience in this platform is both personal and a collaborative environment for teamwork. For years, businesses have talked about striving for a diverse and inclusive community and workplace. However, actions have been less common. SEG will take action, but in route to action, we must first look carefully at SEG from every single angle and perspective. We must do more than just say we want to be diverse and inclusive. We must make concrete and trackable actions to ensure we benefit from the wealth of perspectives, viewpoints, and experiences that our entire community can provide. SCG has assembled an equity and process task force to dig in and root out inequality while recommending areas where actions can be put in, put us, can put us on a course to truly a diverse and inclusive community. And the task force, as you can see, is there in the upper right in the picture. And then you can also see whenever they're in action, they're also in Zoom mode. So it's a, it's a, it's a very, very engaging and very active group. Now, until July of this year, uh, we were all getting ready for a great gathering in Houston. It was going to be celebrate our 90th anniversary. It was the original uh, meeting of the of the uh, of the SCG was held at the University Club in Houston in 1930. So we were really looking forward to this big party. Then progress on establishing a safe setting for our members to meet in Houston did not go as hoped, and we made the decision to go fully virtual. As our annual meeting is located now in cyberspace as opposed to Houston. Uh, it also has the component of not being just between the 11th and the 16th. It actually extends for a month. So there's advantages and disadvantages. And advantages with this change is our meeting has live participation between that 11th and 16th time window. But most recorded parts of, of, of the program will be accessible well into mid-November on this virtual platform. Now, hopefully most of you have already made your way through the program and see everything this meeting has to offer. I have, it, I have been 
to every SDG meeting since 1985, and I'm really looking forward to the flexibility and freedom I will have in getting across the technical content, getting access to technical content. Well, Fick Bygdon and his, and his steering committee team, in partnership with staff, have done an outstanding job with this meeting and all its unique challenges. This is one of those meetings where you can go and you, can, you don't have to run from session to session and booth to booth. You really can sit back and enjoy and soak up all the content. And also there's opportunities to engage with speakers through chat sessions, which the speaker and session chairs will be monitoring. SG is operating its second energy and data conference coming in February. Geophysicists have been a primary innovator in the production and use of big data. We have been incorporating AI into our processing routines for decades. This workshop, webinar, and conference package revolving around data and computation is meeting a, meeting a quickly emerging need. It was Clive Humbly, a mathematician, in 2006 that coined the phrase, data is the new oil. SCG's regional offices have been a glowing success and operated under a business model that's proven to be robust and sustainable. When the pandemic began impacting operations in the Middle East, the team there engaged their stakeholders and devised a mechanism to continue providing the service and products they have come to expect and need. With six, with six webinars and five courses already in the book since June, the Middle East office is developing process and establishing a platform for going to hybrid meetings starting in January of this year. The China office began working in fully virtual products earlier than the Middle East since China was earlier in the life cycle of the pandemic. So, so the SCG China hosted the first fully virtual SCG workshop in July. Since January, their record of accomplishments include 31 virtual courses and activities. An interesting aspect is participation in China-hosted courses that have come from 69 countries. In total, more than 3,700 participants have taken advantage of digital offerings for coming out of the China office. Now, one thing, it's been a long time coming, and that's, and that's now geophysicists in China can actually register individually and be an SEG member and pay in local currency through the newly launched SEG webpage. This has been something we've been hoping for and trying to get to since 2008 when we first established representative office in China. This is truly a major accomplishment. I'm really looking forward to seeing the opportunity for the Chinese geophysicists to really get engaged with all SEG has to offer and be fully fledged as a member and take advantage of all the member offerings. Now, success in our regional offices prompts us to continue growing our SEG family through regional hubs. There is a lot of opportunity to meet regional needs. Consistent with our strategic plan, we need to diversify in every way to meet the challenges ahead. One, of the one thing the pandemic has shown us is each region has their own unique new normal and effectively supporting geophysics globally require boots on the ground in each region. And in doing so, we thought there are several places that we think are, would be prime and possible key areas to actually engage these regional, uh, these unique regional needs that are out there from our geophysical community. Air service geophysicists represent a long-term sustainable application of geophysics. That group also is targeted in our strategic plan as we look to diversity beyond oil and gas. It also is in the greatest need of a strong global professional society to help ensure integrity in applications and to help promote the science. Near-surface technical section members represent about 6% of the SEG membership. Several times over my almost four decades in near-surface geophysics, the group has tried to gather momentum and come together as a community, but with only marginal success. SEG has an opportunity to bring the global community together and promote geophysics and geophysicists. 
beyond just the general classification of near surface, geophysics has played a role in many applications outside oil and gas for decades. But to fully exploit the potential of geophysics, a focused effort on promoting quality science and promoting consistent global support will be critical going forward. Everyone wants to know what is going on directly under their feet. What are the risks and what are the resources? And what is the potential? A new sustainable geophysics initiative consistent with the strategic plan and aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals has been championed by Maria Angela Capella, Anna Shaughnessy, and Emma Kaslin. Increasing awareness of how applications of geophysics can and does contribute to the economy, society, and protecting the environment. It clearly demonstrates how significant geophysics is and can be the long-term occupation of the Earth. SEAM is a, is a subsidiary of SEG, a business model that has thrived and continues to expand into a wide range of applications of geophysics. Models won't ever replace real data and experience, but they can help guide us in understanding what our data are telling us and how they can get the very most out of our signal processing tools. SEAM AI is designed to test the most challenging AI and ML problems in oil and gas. The program will continue to focus on data and data exchange and establish effective partnerships. Women's Network Committee is one of, if not the most vibrant and engaging community in SEG. They take on any challenge and are passionate about establishing opportunities for all communities. Women's Network Community has established a resume service for students and early career professionals. It has been clearly shown that many students are not getting trained in these kinds of soft skills. With over 100 success stories already, this has been a win for the next generation of applied geophysicists. SEG journals are our professional lifeblood and the collection of SEG published, uh, and the collection of SEG publications is second to none. The submission pace is greater in 2020 than 2019 and the journals are on target for another record year. What can I say? Geophysics has no rival. As an applied geophysics journal, it is the undisputed repository of the most seminal and foundational works of our science. The impact factor of 2.609 is second only to last year's. And the citation score of 6.5 is a record for geophysics. Interpretation has been a cooperative venture with APG and continues to improve in stature and demand since it was first published in 2013. The highest citation score impact factor since it was first published. And to think of 86 papers in November, that's greater than any geophysics issue to date. This truly is a growing and expanding journal. The Leading Edge is society's new source and provides cutting edge technical content focused around special session topics. It has been one of the most valued member benefits since it was first published in 1982. And its score of, uh, its citation score of 3.0 is also the highest it's ever had. The SEG library is, uh, is, has been, has seen a doubling in usage since it was upgraded in February of 2019. The content in the library includes over 70,000 unique titles. Additionally, the SEG Wiki is growing, a growing resource that receives over 100,000 views per, per month. Sheriff's Dictionary is also now fully translated to Spanish, and Seismic Soundoff has become a big hit. You really ought to check it out. Very interesting interviews out there. Our membership, our members are remaining engaged and continue to value being part of the SEG community. Based on this being a very disruptive year and past trends, I'm hoping and projecting that we're going to have around 13,000 members by year's end, which is consistent with last year. Student programs would not be possible without SEG's foundation support. And that means support of our many donors, contributors to the foundation, and specific programs. I can't thank you donors enough. You are supporting, encouraging, and making possible the future of geophysics. 
student chapters. We've got over 225 active chapters in 50 countries. And of those chapters, we had 75 that applied for best student chapter. And these applications, they take time, they take effort. They are not simply done. They do require uh, more than just checking a box. So we do have a very engaged group of, of, of young geophysicists on the move to, uh, to, to, to take over the ranks of the, of the geophysics uh, the, uh, uh, profession that we are currently uh, maintaining today. The SCG uh, Chevron Student Leadership Symposium actually began uh, weeks ago and is, uh, is in full swing now. It is uh, 55 participants in the two, uh, 2020, 2020 online. As well, the uh, grant applications, 124,000 awarded 16 students, chapters. Uh, scholarships, scholarships are a main blood of SCG student component and there's 322,000 awarded 124 students. These, these, these awards provided by the foundation are basically critical for our new generation and for the replacements that are coming to take our place in the future. Pivoting to the virtual format has dramatically increased access to both regional and global audience to this program, which is the Honoring Distinguished Lecture Program. The, it has also opened up many new opportunities for engaging our global communities and especially the students. The first half of this year allowed five lecturers to deliver multiple lectures with views in over 80 countries by more than 4,500 attendees. As well, the DISC program for 2020 starts at, at this annual meeting with Dave Monk beginning his tour that will last the year. Alan Bertain and Mike Forrest have been catalysts to this program. The Evolve has grown to be a hands-on educational experience that has no rival. In 2020, 27 student teams from 30 universities competed. This year, for the first time, Evolve Professional was launched with a team sponsored by Oxy, a powerful experience to provide value to a future employer. Geoscientists Without Borders is a marquee program sponsored through generous contributions to the SCG Foundation. This program not only helps to train students, but also provides critical needs for the impoverished or stricken communities. Many of this year's programs have been working virtual with a few able to do some fieldwork on projects when the conditions are safe and permitted by governments and institutions. GWB has been able to support 45 humanitarian projects in 31 countries with a bonus of engaging over 650 students. Cooperation with communities and industry partners is essential and vital part of this program. The value here is not only that we're doing humanitarian support and, 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 and providing humanitarian value to the, the global community, but also that students are involved, uh, professionals are involved, in, industries involved. This really is a fully uh, engaged program. Now, kind of sum up this year. Um, this year has been very unique for SEG. It's probably been more disruptive than any year since the, the Great Depression or World War II. It has thrown continuous hurdles and obstacles in our way. But the SEG community, staff, and, and our, our stakeholders have come through and I think SEG was coming out of this program, coming out of this, this, this pandemic, coming out of this, 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 this uh, series of obstacles in better shape than what we went in. We have a lean team that's very skilled and very looking forward to what is the challenges ahead. This year, basically, we projected to end the year under budget, under the adjusted budget. We uh, expect to have reserve balances at the end of the year greater than 4.5 million. A key thing is we've reduced IDC by 
which means more of the revenue that's been generated by SCG through memberships, through through dues, through through foundation contributions is going toward real programs, not going toward administering programs. That's good news. Membership, we're hoping for greater than 13,000. My fingers are crossed. And basically, the increased demand for all of our products and services, scholarly products are without rival, is still heavy. It's still strong. We've increased those demands. Strong and very supportive foundation contributions. We have over 2 million uh, this year in contributions from the foundation. Thank you very much, donors and foundation, for your, for your tireless efforts and, and, and support and, and faith in SEG. Four regional hubs showing increasing engagement, even during the COVID-19 and volatile oil prices. These regional hubs truly are a model of how SEG will be operating in the future. Strategic initiatives align for growth and diversification. Building on successful and virtual pivot products, pivot with innovative development of digital platforms and e-business opportunities. SEG truly has made the significant uh, improvements. We have, we, we've traveled a path that's been very rough since January, but we've emerged from it, I think, in perfect shape. We are perfectly poised for taking on the challenges of the next decade and beyond. So with that, I thank you very much for your time. Enjoy the conference. Uh, anything you need, staff are around, uh, get on the helplines, uh, live chats. Uh, thank you for your attendance, and I look forward to a great year at SEG. It is a pleasure to introduce you to our SEG 20 opening session keynote, Dr. Michael Oristaglio. Dr. Oristaglio is a co-founder and inaugural director of the Energy Studies Multidisciplinary Academic Program at Yale University. Previously, he was executive director of Yale Climate and Energy Institute. He's a founding faculty member of the program in financing and deploying clean energy at Yale School of the Environment. Since 2011, he has also worked as a manager for SEG Advanced Modeling Corporation, also known as SEAM, the SEAM project. Before coming to Yale, he spent more than 25 years as a scientist and research manager with Schlumberger, including being the managing director of Schlumberger Doll Research, their main research center. He is author, co-author, and editor of more than 50 journal articles on geophysical remote sensing and of three books. He received several recognition and awards from SEG, Wall Street Journal, and others. I invite you to have a look at his complete biography in SEG's online program. Dr. Aristaglio has undergraduate and graduate degrees in Earth Sciences from Yale and Oxford University. Since this is a pre-recorded presentation, there will be no interactive Q&A question and answers. However, Dr. Oristaglio has kindly accepted to address questions you may have for him if you type them in the chat box next to his video. And he'll reply accordingly. He has a few weeks, as I mentioned, everything will be online for a month. With that, I now invite Dr. Oristaglio to present his keynote. Wafik, thank you for that kind introduction. Greetings to everyone listening in, and thanks to the SEG for the opportunity to address this 90th anniversary meeting. The first thing I wanted to do today is take advantage of this unique occasion and this first-of-a-kind forum for the annual meeting to start a wave of applause rippling around the world for SEG when reaching this milestone. Let's let that wave expand for a few seconds. 
happy 90th SCG. As I wrote in the abstract for this talk, big number milestones are good occasions for looking back and ahead long distances. Here's how I hope to do that in my remarks today. I want to start with the theme of this week's meeting, digital transformation, and what it may bring to applied earth science. I'll then move on to a broad question connected to that theme. What do we know about the resources in Earth's shallow interior after a century of modern geophysical exploration? After suggesting an even broader answer, I'll spend a few minutes on a way of understanding what's going on inside the Earth beyond the reach of our measurements. It's by using hyper-realistic large-scale simulations. And as part of that, I'll describe how the SEG has been leading this field during the last decade through its advanced modeling initiative called SEAM. Apologies in advance that this first part of the talk focuses mostly on seismic and petroleum reservoirs. I'll try to compensate for that in the second part when suggesting a few themes for the next decade in applied earth science. I'll conclude with some personal reflections on the roads behind and ahead. Let's start briefly with the theme of the meeting, digital transformation. One thing to say is that there's no lack of advice from the outside about what this will mean for the oil and gas industry and how it will change the business. What's on the screen now is just a sampling of the headlines that turn up on the first page of a search on the keywords, digital transformation, oil and gas. What pops up tends to focus on the business side of things, but it still makes for interesting reading and is worthwhile to wade into a bit, but not so far as to lose perspective. As for the science and technology, what we're here for this week, probably the right thing to say in these early days is simply, Let's be humble in the face of transformation. We don't know yet what a digital transformation will bring with its flood of new data and its accompanying technologies, data analytics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, automation, robotics, and more. That's for this conference and workshops and panels and discussions and company and university offices and hallways, and nowadays, of course, on Zoom. That's to be worked out in the next decade, and it will likely take at least that long. Let's not forget that the ideas that transformed our field in the last 50 years required a decade or two to settle in. Think of the digital signal processing revolution of the 1960s and 70s after recordings first went digital. The paradigm shifts of wave equation imaging in the 70s and 80s, 3D thinking and acquisition and processing in the 80s and 90s, continuing immediately into 4D and time-lapse monitoring, directional drilling, fracking, and the shale revolution in the 1990s and 2000s. And more specialized topics, too, like anisotropy, petrophysics, and full waveform inversion, where transformations have been going on for a long time and are still underway. After all those developments and many others spanning more than a century of modern exploration geophysics, we can still ask a very broad question. What do we know about the resources in Earth's shallow interior? For example, what do we know, really know, about how underground reservoirs change over time? We know a lot, but maybe not as much as we think. For example, we know that reservoir production declines over time, but decline rates are highly, highly variable. Here's an example of 120 wells in Malaysia near Brunei. The average is smooth, but what's going on in all those green curves from the individual wells? Many different things, of course, but the general idea is that the earth is heterogeneous on all scales, from kilometers to meters to millimeters and so on. And I think it's fair to say that we are just beginning to understand how that heterogeneity limits our ability to explore for and produce underground resources in a sustainable way. Moreover, this heterogeneity can never be fully quantified by remote sensing. More and better observations are needed, of course, and this week you will hear a lot about amazing work going on in 4D reservoir monitoring. 
But remote sensing will never capture all of Earth's underground complexity. Given that, there's a strong argument that complexity might be better understood by building more realistic virtual reservoirs, virtual undergrounds like the one you see here, which we'll come back to later, and by using large-scale simulation to understand their responses to remote sensing. That kind of realistic simulation has been enabled in the last few years by many different advances, geologic process modeling, digital representations of Earth models, modern numerical methods, and cheap, scalable computing power. That last piece is what the revolution in big data and data science, which occurred mostly outside our industry, has brought to the table. Since 2007, SEG has been pushing the state of the art in construction and simulation of realistic Earth models in a series of collaborative research projects with dozens of companies. And with help from the US Department of Energy through RIPSI, its research program to secure energy for America, and with help from the Society of Petroleum Engineers. The initiative is called SEAM for SDG Advanced Modeling, and I wanted to spend a few minutes describing some of this work, in part because there was a natural progression in these projects that nicely recaps some of the recent research themes in the industry. The first SEAM project was mostly about advanced seismic imaging, about understanding how different marine acquisition geometries affect the ability to see complex 3D structure. In this case, a large salt body, which you see in this figure, surrounded by relatively recent sediments, as in the Gulf of Mexico and other tertiary basins throughout the world. The project was also about assessing the state of the art and numerical methods for seismic wave propagation. And during the four years of SEAM phase one, those methods went from purely acoustic modeling to fully elastic modeling of tilted transversely isotropic media. We're now routinely doing fully anisotropic modeling with variable attenuation. The second SEAM project was devoted to land seismic challenges and began with the Barrett unconventional model shown here. This work had the goal of producing synthetic data to test how accurately today's seismic processing could quantify the fracture patterns and organic content of shale reservoirs. You can see the sweet spots in the shale layers at the bottom of the figure represented as geobodies with differing petrophysical properties. The ARID model was next and continued the land seismic theme by introducing the complications of exploration in desert terrains with extreme contrast between hard bedrock and soft sediments filling karsts. The karsts are the dark areas in the figure and their distribution in the model was based on patterns visible in field seismic images from the Middle East. The last model of seam land seismic was the foothills model, the first large scale attempt to model realistic topography at the surface, in this case, topography with alluvial fill in neighboring valleys and with everything in the near surface sitting above the complex fold and thrust structures typical of exploration plays in mountainous regions like the Flanos foothills of the Andes Mountains. Synthetic data from these models has all the character and complexity of field data, like in this marine seismic shot from the tertiary basin model. In fact, there are parts that look like bad field data. Look at the example on the left from the ARID model, where a seismic shot sits in a small outcropping karst filled with soft sediments, or on the right from the Foothills model, where the shot is at a peak in the topography with alluvial fill and valleys on either side. These first projects were not just about seismic. Electromagnetic, EM, and gravity data were also simulated in many different survey geometries, including in controlled source EM ground surveys and in airborne EM and gravity surveys. That was the first decade of SEAM. In the last three years, there have been two important advances that link with this week's theme. The first is the ability to evolve the models dynamically with simulation of fluid flow 
geomechanical deformation, and changing petrophysics as a virtual reservoir is produced. That project is called Seam Life of Field, and I want to show a few slides about how this works to give an idea of the realistic detail in these latest models. What you see in the horizontal section of this cutaway view is a deep water turbidite reservoir in a sedimentary basin with salt tectonics, similar to the Gulf of Mexico. The full sedimentary sequence is on the two vertical sections with dark to light brown representing clay volume, which effectively determines reservoir quality. Salt is in purple. The prominent salt canopies are connected to the original salt layer through feeder channels. You can see one of the channels poking through just to the right of the middle of the slide. There are, in fact, two separate reservoirs in this model. Another, another reservoir lies between the flanks of the salt domes visible in the vertical panel on the left. Here's what the deep reservoir looks like higher up, where there are more disorganized channels from the turbidite flows. Here's what the next higher horizon looks like. It's dominated by sheet sands. Finally, two horizons near the top with fragmented channels grading into more continuous sheet sands at the top. Here's a close-up view of the oil water contact running through the model. This view also shows the finite element mesh used to model the salt. The differences in reservoir quality coming from the varying lithology will, of course, have large effects on the progression of pressure fronts draining the reservoir. Going through all of that would take us too far afield here, but I want to show a few snapshots to illustrate the general idea. Here are the pressure fronts after two years of simulated production from the two well clusters visible in this view. You can see the pressure relaxation or drawdown tracking the more permeable sands. Here are the fronts after three years of production and after four years. Geomechanical deformation is integrated with reservoir production, so you can watch the reservoirs deform, literally squeeze out the fluids as the pressure releases when production starts. Seam Life of Field is finishing at the end of this year, and we'll start publishing its research on how seismic and gravity monitoring for this plastic model and also for a large-scale carbonate model were simulated over 10 years of virtual production. The other important development here is the commitment by SEG, as President Miller mentioned in his talk, to use these models along with real data sets in a new effort called SEAM AI. SEAM AI is intended to promote open research to understand what machine learning and artificial intelligence can contribute to seismic processing and interpretation workflows. The first SEAM AI public machine learning challenge is based on a real data set from New Zealand and was launched in September on the AI Crowd machine learning platform in collaboration with the SEG machine learning workshop to be held on Friday. You can learn more about it at the workshop. One last word before moving on to the second part of the talk. Please don't go away with the message that the keynote at this year's SEG was about applied geophysics going all virtual. There might be a fun new video game business there, but just building digital Earths in the cloud won't find any new Earth resources. Realistic virtual exploration is just another powerful way of understanding the limits of our tools for exploring what is present in the data we do collect. I want to wrap up in the next 10 minutes with some thoughts on what may lie ahead, keeping in mind a saying by the famous Danish physicist Niels Bohr, one of the pioneers of quantum mechanics. It is difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. This quote is often repeated, and Bohr, in fact, did say it, but it turns out he was quoting a proverb of his homeland. There it is in the original Danish. So with the Danish proverb in mind, here are some challenges for a new era of geophysical exploration in the 21st century. The first is in petroleum geophysics and follows from what we've talked about so far. 
We need to complete our understanding of how reservoirs behave over their lifetimes. As part of that, it's time to complete the revolution in full waveform inversion for rock and fluid properties, which started in the 1980s. Yes, the 1980s, nearly 40 years ago with the power pioneering work of Albert Tarantola. Meeting this challenge will have important applications in the management of other vital underground reservoirs in groundwater management, most importantly, but also in the safe underground storage of CO2 and other waste products of the modern economy. Next is mining geophysics. Mineral exploration is much different from petroleum exploration and usually requires a much higher resolution search over large, often remote areas, which often must be done entirely by airborne methods, sensing mainly the first 500 meters of the subsurface. In fact, the challenge with minerals is often just the opposite than with petroleum. We've gotten quite good at finding oil fields, but are still working on ways of getting, let's say, half of the oil out of the ground. In mining geophysics, by contrast, there still is a hard challenge in finding and characterizing smaller bodies by remote sensing, but once found, of course, they're mostly all dug up. Here's an example of what can be done now routinely in mapping the 3D electrical conductivity of the Earth down to depths of nearly 500 meters using airborne EM methods. What you see in the image is an outcropping shale layer in blue as it dips down to about 400 meters below the surface as mapped by a helicopter EM survey in Western Canada. Here's what could be done with airborne gravity, exploring for kimberlite pipes in Africa. Even with these tools and many others, discovery of small body ore bodies remains a difficult problem that in some ways has less to do with the technology and more with how these surveys get funded and carried out. You can see a theme developing with challenge number three, which takes us closer to Earth's surface than what we call near-surface geophysics. The challenge here is to complete a revolution in airborne surveying that would allow widespread mapping of Earth's first 50 meters at a resolution of about one meter. Nearly all the infrastructure and much of the groundwater that supports modern society resides in this thin layer, and we know surprisingly little about it at a level of resolution that would make a real difference. Here's a beautiful example of what can already be done it's a map of soil cover and its electrical conductivity over the entire UK, produced from airborne EM surveys sponsored by the British Geological Survey and published by David Beamish in 2013. Here's an example of mapping down to bedrock to understand groundwater flow patterns in Manitoba, Canada, based on work sponsored by Natural Resources Canada. And one more, a study of environmental monitoring around an abandoned salt mine in Germany through a combination of airborne EM and ground resistivity measurements. Pioneering stuff of which much, much more is needed. Challenge number four takes us to the shallowest part of the subsurface and is perhaps the hardest. Mapping the infrastructure that drives the modern world, roadbeds, power, water, sewage, and telecommunications lines. The challenge here is to systematically map Earth's first five meters with a resolution of five centimeters or better. That's what's needed to inform decisions in civil engineering about roadway and building construction. This type of mapping is not possible from the air, but it could be done by completing a revolution in mobile sensor arrays mounted on moving ground vehicles. Huge progress has already been made in this area in the last 20 years. We can now go from continuous ground penetrating radar surveys with mobile arrays like the one visible at the back of the vehicle in the top left panel, to producing 3D underground radar images. On the upper right, you can see a slice from such an image pasted onto an aerial photograph, to extracting the main underground utility lines and conduits from the GPR images, as on the lower right, and to integrating those models with surface LIDAR surveys, as on the lower left. 
The final step is integrating the results into the CAD drawings that are a key part of safe, efficient, modern construction. An important development of the last few years is that underground mapping by geophysical methods is now being codified in construction standards of the American Society of Civil Engineers in a new ASCN standard to be released later this year. This capability is not new. Here's an example that goes back almost 20 years to a project I had the privilege of working on with Con Edison and the City of New York Department of Design and Construction to help with restoration of the underground utility network in Lower Manhattan after 9-11. Here you see two slices through a 3D GPR image at depths of 24 and 42 inches, revealing parts of the utility infrastructure, gas, electric, water, and sewer lines that was damaged when the World Trade Center towers collapsed. Applications of GPR and civil engineering seem poised to take off after this project demonstrated its feasibility, but it didn't, in part because of challenge number five, the need for new business models in applied earth science. Unlike petroleum and mining geophysics, where the business model is essentially a finder's fee for locating something valuable, this is more like insurance or risk management. And we need smart thinking about business models for applied earth science, where the payoff is in better risk management over the lifetime of the infrastructure or a wayside. Moreover, we need models that support both the essential field work and enough R&D to continue to advance these fields. Something all of these challenges have in common is their multidisciplinary nature. Integrating a financial component into that mix from the start, how can the R&D become self-sustaining is important to each of them. I wanna close with some personal reflections. First, let's not forget that we're entering a second digital transformation of applied geophysics. The first came decades ago when recordings first went digital and opened the amazing toolbox of digital signal processing, which we now associated with the names of Sven Tritel, Enders Robertson, and John Clarebout, and many others. And let's remember, as we start playing with new tools and toys, that what we do, or should be doing, will remain recognizable. Today, we do tensor gravity surveys from airships to produce color-coded maps, like this one shown earlier on the right, but the idea itself is immediately recognizable in the figure on the left from the 1929 paper by Donald Barton, describing the first geophysical detection of an oil field on the flank of the Nash Dome in Texas by a gravity survey carried out painstakingly with a torsion balance five years earlier. Also immediately recognizable is the basic idea on, in this figure on the left from a 1931 paper describing the usefulness of boreholes and fan shooting for salt domes in the Gulf of Mexico. Now we make 3D images of salt domes <clears throat> showing what the domes really look like, whereas the one on the left was an imaginative sketch and obviously a very good one. Here we recognize the first world well logging experiments in the late 1920s and the first electrical well log at Peckelbron in France, hand drawn by Henri Dahl, one of the founders of Schlumberger. Today, well logging creates color for two and three dimensional images showing how fluids leaking out of the borehole cause the resistivity to vary away from the well. But the basic idea is present in the original invention. And we immediately recognize in the diagram on the left, hand drawn by Russian geoscientists in the early 1930s, a depiction of how the great Sorakini field of the Caucasus is broken up into different reservoir compartments by faults. Add some color in a 3D rendering, and it would look very much like the modern display on the right, the one I started this talk with. In this figure from Archie's famous paper in 1941, we recognize the stirrings of modern quantitative petrophysics in the correlation of formation electrical resistivity with porosity and permeability. One wonders if a machine learning algorithm would have made the same leap of, leap of imagination 
the leap of faith that Gus Archie made in reducing the complexity of the electrical resistivity of plastic rocks and their pore fluids to a few simple parameters, changing the game in exploration from what's there to how much. I hope that brief tour of the past will serve as a reminder that what we do is as important as how we do it. And in the last century, what superb applied earth science, the hallmark of SEG, has done is to help fuel the largest increase in human prosperity ever, accomplished through exploration and development of Earth's natural resources on a prodigious scale. There is still a long way to go. The UN reminds us that many around the world, hundreds of millions, remain without access to the clean water and modern energy necessary to improve their lives. But that's not an excuse for continued unbridled resource exploitation. Extractive industries in the 21st century must move towards sustainable, environmentally responsible development. And let's be honest, the industries we serve have not always been leaders in those qualities. At times, just the opposite. That needs to change, especially if our profession wants to attract the talents of the next generation of earth scientists and engineers. That new generation has been trained in modern earth science, in which climate science, environmental and ecological systems, and their sustainability are integral parts. And they will be skeptical of industries and companies that continue to support bad actors who deny parts of the basic earth science on which our industries are based. It's like questioning the tenets of plate tectonics. It won't wash. The goal of each generation of applied earth science is to solve the pressing problems it sees, guided by the past and thinking about the future, and to understand the long-term consequences of its choices. As someone trained in geophysical inverse theory might say, search for global, not just local optima. Let's keep in mind too that there is no magic in applied science. That was the theme of the first paper in geophysics, volume one, number one, written by a young scientist, Ludwig Blau, who was assigned to evaluate all the, let's say, less than fully scientific ideas that came to the doorstep of humble oil. What a great name for a company. Blau was one of the founders of SEG, and his article is wonderful reading, which should be required of all aspiring applied scientists. Some final words for the SEG on its 90th birthday. A requirement of any professional society today is to ask, does the organization reflect at all levels, its members, officers, and staff, the diversity of the world that it aims to serve? Are its goals aligned with the world's goals? As you heard from President Miller, SEG has a long and distinguished track record of service and continues to work on its diversity. In its volume, Geophysics and Affairs of Mankind, that history is recounted, and it should be on the desktop of every geophysicist. Geoscientists Without Borders is one of the society's highest achievements. And the International Society of Applied Geophysicists that gathers every year in Houston, New Orleans, Dallas, Denver, Las Vegas, Anaheim, or wherever, as today, in offices and home offices around the world, that gathering is among the most diverse and dedicated, dedicated groups of professionals anywhere. In the hands of the members and dedicated staff of the Society of Exploration Geophysicists, Applied Earth Science is in good hands, and its future is bright. Thank you for your attention, and thanks to the many, many people who contributed to this talk, too many to name, but I do want to extend special thanks to the staff of SEG, the directors of SEAM, and the many col colleagues in its participant companies who made it all work. It's been unbelievable fun working with all of them. Let's have a great virtual week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast, Seismic Sound Off. SEG produces these episodes to benefit its members, the geophysics community, and inform the public on the value of the science. To show your support for the show, 
please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this show. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to the website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all the episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Gary at 51 Features. The SEG podcast team is Ted Bacomjian, Jennifer Crockett, Ali McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.